0: This is Nellius in Verba, a podcast about science.
1: What it is and what it could be.
0: It's co-hosted by me, Smriti Mehta from UC Berkeley.
1: And me, Daniel Lakins from Eindhoven University of Technology.
0: In this episode, we discuss the history and value of null hypothesis significance testing and reasons why it may or may not be a good idea. What is the difference between the Fisherian and the Neyman-Pearson approach to scientific hypothesis testing? Is the null always true? And should we shift our focus away from statistical significance and toward practical significance? Enjoy.
1: But, in the first place, I wish to make some general comments on the philosophy of the statistical interpretation of experimental data. A method is a dangerous thing, unless its underlying philosophy is understood, and none more dangerous than the statistical. Our aim should be, with care, to avoid, in the main, erroneous conclusions. In a mathematical or strictly logical discipline, the care is one of technique but in a natural science and in statistics the care must extend not only over the technique but to the matter of judgment, as is necessarily the case in coming to conclusions upon any problem of real life, where the complications are great. Over-attention to technique may actually blind one to the dangers that lurk about on every side, like the gambler who ruins himself with his system carefully er elaborated to beat the game. In the long run, It is only clear thinking, experienced feelings, and a patient poise, not automatic systems and methods that win the strongholds of science. So this is a criticism on statistics, using statistics slightly Mm -hmm. mindlessly as a technique. I just want to ask you, what year do you think this was published in?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to say 1928. 1928.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you think there was already enough statistics back then to be criticized?
0: 1928? Maybe. It's possible. It's, it's from 1923. Oh, yeah. nice.
1: So it's a century old.
0: Not that bad. Yeah, it is a century old. And who is it by?
1: Um, this is a paper in the journal Science. So one of the first criticisms, I think uh-huh. back then you could get into science with criticism on hypothesis testing. Nowadays yeah. we've had so many of them. I don't think it's possible anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's by uh, Edwin B. Wilson. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know uh, who this is. Uh, uh, not me either. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, somebody early on criticizing uh, this work already. Uh-huh. Yeah. So here That's we are. That's
0: impressive.
2: Yeah
1: exactly and um i should give a shout out to uh my colleague mm-hmm. um and friend noah van dongen mm-hmm. uh, we were just bouldering just now and he pointed me to this early criticism wow. i i knew there was one i couldn't have, i couldn't find it myself so he he just sent it through just before the podcast uh uh-huh. and um uh, he himself has worked a lot on um Null hypothesis significance testing, hmm. and uh, has a very nice paper on uh, criticisms of uh, null hypothesis significance testing, mm-hmm. and and there's an, another point. So first of all, we've seen that the criticisms on this practice start very very early, right? Right? Mm-hmm. All right. So and um, he published a very nice, or published, I think it's a preprint as of yet. Mm-hmm. Uh. A paper where he looks at criticisms of null hypothesis significance testing, Mm -hmm. published between 2011 and 2018. Hmm. Yeah, So this is 2011 to 2018.
0: So during sort of the the rise of the replication crisis and sort of that whole era, yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so um, people have criticized this for a hundred years, we've just seen that, Mm -hmm. and I just want to ask you, how often do you think people have criticized null hypothesis significance testing? So we're talking about papers in the scientific literature exclusively there to criticize the practice of null hypothesis significance testing between 2011 and 2018 in these years. How how many did they find in their systematic review?
0: Oh, probably a lot. Like if I had to <laughs> get a number? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say somewhere. I mean, it has to be. I'm gonna say 143.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're throughout this podcast are you're impressively good in estimating, like guessing things. The number is 123. <laughs> 123 o- over a period of so this is like eight years, maybe, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. Eight
1: years. So seven, uh, yeah, uh, yeah,
0: uh, yeah, ish. Yeah.
1: Yeah, eight years. So so basically, you know, every month, more than every month, one of these kind of criticisms comes out. Mm-hmm. Continuously still. Yeah. After a hundred years, this right. is still a continuous source yeah. of criticism. So that's our, our topic of the day. Yeah. Hypothesis testing. Right. In general, I would mm-hmm. say. Not just no hypothesis testing, but maybe we will see. We'll see which yeah. mm-hmm. you know how far we come. Right. Um so th- that's the the topic. A highly criticized, continuously criticized thing right. that we all do anyway.
0: That we all do anyway, which is, I think, one of the reasons why it does get so so much criticism, right? Everybody does it.
2: Hmm.
0: A lot of people do it. Well, it's not even I think that people do it wrong. I, th- I, I do think there's it, like we talked about it in the cargo cult science mm-hmm. episode. And I think you sent me this great little short piece by um, Philip Stark, who's a statistician here, where they talk about cargo cult statistics, like this idea of just applying these methods mm-hmm. in this ritualistic way where you don't really think about them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that is part of the problem is not is that people sort of don't under fully or maybe they aren't taught to sort of fully understand the philosophy Mm -hmm. behind what we're doing and why we're doing it, which I think leads to a lot of confusion.
1: Yeah. yeah. So this is a paper by indeed Philip Stark and Andrea Saltelli, mm-hmm. uh, cargo called "Statistics and Scientific Crisis." Right. And they in their paper they say, yeah, our mindless use of statistics is one of the reasons we're in a crisis.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Do yeah. Do you agree? Do you think this is uh, one of the main reasons that we're so bad at statistics? We mess things up, and that's why we're in a bit of a mess nowadays.
0: I mean, I would definitely agree. Um, I think, I mean, are are we talking about science broadly or psychology? I'm not sure. Because, Mm. like, I think part of the problem is that, well, statistics is sort of difficult and complicated. And I think in a lot, at least in my experience in our discipline, is that the training that you get in statistics is just so superficial, Mm -hmm. where you are sort of just taught to... You know, mindlessly apply things and not really try to understand, you know, the logic behind things and the math behind things. And so I think you, if you just, then all you're, then all you can do is just like sort of rote application of these methods without really understanding them. And it's almost like not encouraged that you go into it. And I look, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think psychology is made up of people who mm-hmm. wanted to do science but did not like math. And they, a lot of them hate statistics. <laughs> And so mm. they're like, I don't even want to know, you know, so that, <laughs> so that is, I think, an issue that, yeah, it, it's not taught well and it, it is hard to teach, right? I think mm-hmm. teaching statistics is just so difficult that I think mm-hmm. and it's not done well. Like, I think, you know, the in the Venn diagram of people who are good at statistics and people who are good at teaching, there's not <laughs> a lot of overlap, right? So it's it, that, that I think is an issue. But
1: mm. yeah. Well, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, what would be your, yeah, <laughs> well.
1: Well, I agree. I agree. I think um, the way we, so it's definitely for me, it feels very much like an example of cargo cult. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly Mm -hmm. where we Mm -hmm. just mimic things, we imitate things, and it's good enough to get into the journals. But Mm -hmm. there is a lot of uncertainty about this. And I think people feel this uncertainty. They feel that they're not maybe, you know, as on top of things that they should be. I think it's a very common experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think this is something new? Or do you also think that this is, you know, as as we're doing in our podcast, looking back, uh, do you think this is, you know, since when is this sort of the case, or has this always been the case?
0: Well, since 1923, that, I guess is. <laughs> there, there's criticism
1: well... on it, yeah, but that people in psychology have, yeah, really seen this as a source of a crisis. I would say, like a source of why things are not going well. Is that also also always been the case? You think?
0: Um. I mean I I do think it's been it's pretty old, right? You have, you mm. know, people like Paul Meal, Jacob Cohen, they have criticized null significance hypothesis null hypothesis significance testing for a long time. Mm. Um, can I read mm. you a quote by Paul Meal sure. on mm-hmm. null? Yeah, always. Always. You all, never have to ask no. if It's Paul Meal, you never have to go, go. <laughs> so this is I mean, I found it in like a you know, Cohen's paper from um, 1994, but Meal describes Mm -hmm. null hypothesis significance testing as a potent but sterile intellectual rake who leaves in his merry path a long train of ravished maidens, but no viable scientific offspring. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: So so it just Mm -hmm. like doesn't lead to any, you know, um, it's just sort of this intellectual tool that doesn't lead to any kind of outcome. And I think, so yeah, people have been criticizing, I think,
2: Mm-hmm, you
0: mm-hmm. know, null, the, how about significance testing it's this mindless exercise for quite some time, at least I would say, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, they have, they have. And I yeah. think one of the things that I've noticed is that they have to slowly over time become more and more extreme. So this example Mm. that you give is already Mm. kind of nice, extreme viewpoint. But if you look through the literature, I mean, because people are publishing this almost every month, they just have to become more and more extreme. So this is already quite, I would say, an extreme metaphor, but it just goes on and on, basically, you know, like, yeah, uh, um, and and that's also kind of interesting to see uh, that people are doing such a, yeah. Sort of, you know, they're really dr- trying to drive the point home, and in some way, I feel there's hmm. not much new things to say about this. Uh, how can you, you know, if there's oh, like hundred papers,
0: right? Just be more extreme about it. Yeah. Do you think that the criticisms are getting more technical or just more cantankerous? I
1: don't, I don't know. I think it's a little bit maybe this this letter thing. I feel is pretty. Yeah, just they're just trying. to are just getting to, angrier. They're just getting angrier, <laughs> I think so. And, um, I mean, for for example, um, so there's this paper, or I think actually a, a book, uh, The Cult of Statistical Significance How the Standard Error Cost Us Jobs, Justice, and Lives. Wow, uh, yeah, so and, and wow. you can see this is more recent than the paper by Mail because it's just getting more extreme, yikes, um, yeah,
0: and lives. Oh my god, I mean.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, actually,
0: yeah. actually that 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 might be a fair criticism, depending on which discipline you're in. That's fair. Yeah. It might
1: be. It might be. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the criticisms, I think the main points have been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we might mm-hmm. get to some of them. So mm-hmm. what we want to do is of course point out some of the negative aspects. Right. And we thought, especially in like the social nature, like the the process of doing science. So I don't think right. we're gonna talk maybe as much about like the mathematics underlying it or maybe even epistemology, but the social nature of using these tests in a science. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because, yeah, there's so much stuff to quote here, I think. I'll give you a quote from Bacon in 1966. Uh He writes, that which we might identify as the crisis of psychology Mm -hmm. Yeah, 1966, right? Not not 2016, no, uh no, no, 1966 is closely related to what Hockben has called the crisis in statistical theory. You know, science is just always in a crisis, we've seen (laughs) that. The vast majority of investigations which pass for research in the field of psychology today until the use of statistical tests of significance, most characteristically uh, when a psychologist finds a problem he Mm -hmm. wishes to investigate, he converts his intuitions and hypotheses into procedures which will yield a test of significance and will characteristically allow the results of the test of significance to bear the essential responsibility for the conclusions which he will draw. Mm Mm-hmm. So maybe in terms of social aspects of using this, right? And yeah, we were thinking about what is the criticism here? Are we criticizing hypothesis testing? I think so, yeah. let's start there. So our devil's advocate position is we're doing this, but you know, maybe it's not, not a good thing to do, right? We'll just join the 123 papers over the last years and <laughs> add some more. So, so one of the things um, that you could criticize is that we have this tool and then everybody uses it, right? Sort of in the sense of if mm-hmm. you only have a hammer, what is it that they say? If if your tool everything is a hammer, everything is a nail. Yeah, if, if every problem hammer, hammer, is
0: a nail. It, right, right.
1: So, do you think this is true that we are overdoing hypothesis tests because we just feel everything needs to be a hypothesis test?
0: Well, before I answer that question, Daniel, and and this is why I was sort of excited for this podcast, is because I think it'll be very edifying both for me and for whoever's listening. But before we get there, would you hmm. mind? Because I think there is a lot of confusion about what mm. null hypothesis significance testing is and maybe a little mm. bit of the history of it and i know that mm. there's sort of this line right it's sort of there's sort of the fisherian approach that mm-hmm. sort of predates and then it was sort of a you know adapted a little bit by egon pearson um as K- jacob cones calls it carl pearson's boy um egon pearson and um jersey naiman mm-hmm. who and naiman mm-hmm. was like the, the sort of one of the um Founders of the statistics department here at Berkeley. So, and, and, you know, we kind of, uh, and we kind of do sort of use this sort of hodgepodge of these different approaches. And I think there's just so much. So, if you, if you Mm -hmm.
1: just, Yeah. yeah,
0: explain that whole, you know, the distinction between the two a little bit. Um, Sure. I'll I'll summarize. Yes.
1: I'll summarize 50 papers on this topic in the next two minutes. (laughs)
2: Amazing. Uh,
1: No, but I think it's true. So first of all, that's very important to note, right? Because actually often if you read papers that criticize hypothesis testing, Mm -hmm. they're not always clear about what they are criticizing. Are they criticizing the Fisherian approach Mm -hmm. or the Neyman Pearson approach Mm -hmm. or the fact that people actually don't really even know that there's these differences between the two and they just sort of combine them in a mindless Mm -hmm. manner. Mm -hmm. And I think. Yeah, you have to be clear on what you're criticizing. Right. All of these things have been criticized. So, I mean, it's not that any, any of these is a safe bet, but there are different types of criticisms for every right. uh, approach. So uh, the Fisherian approach, simply put, uh, has a null hypothesis mm-hmm. and mainly just a null hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And it's looking at how far removed is the data from this null hypothesis. We can express that with a p-value. Mm-hmm. Right, so we can do our test, we can compute a difference score, and then we can calculate what is the probability of observing this data or more extreme data under the null hypothesis, mm-hmm. and we use this p value basically as a continuous measure. The further away it is, the effect, or the smaller the p value, the stronger a reason we have to feel, and sometimes Fisher really talks about it like this: to feel sort of like ah, this null is not right. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this data is, is convincing me that the null is probably not true because this probability of observing this data is so small. Mm-hmm. So the main thing here is that we just have this null hypothesis mm-hmm. and the p-value is sort of a continuous indicator of how much should you feel like you want to give up the null hypothesis, mm-hmm. something like this. Yeah. And um, the um, difference with Neyman-Pearson approach is that even though Fisher sometimes said, look, what do we mean with small? Well, you can use 5%. You can use 1% if you want mm-hmm. to, you know, small is small, whatever. Um, Neyman and Pearson very strictly introduced two things. First, this cutoff of a type 1 error rate
2: mm-hmm. that
1: you specify before you perform the experiment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you set your alpha level, and then if this P value is smaller than the alpha level, then you can act as if the null hypothesis is false. You never know if you make an error, and they are all about error control, which uh, Fisher thought was a kind of silly thing to do, but they are all about error control. And you have your type one error, but you also have your type two error. But you only have a type two error if you specify an alternative hypothesis. Hmm. And this is something that Fisher didn't really think was necessary, but that is very essential in Neyman pearson hypothesis testing. So you also have your alternative, you have a type one error and a type two error, and you try to make sure that those errors are as small as possible. So the mm-hmm. type one error is declaring that there is an effect when there's actually no effect, when the null hypothesis is true. And the type two error is there actually is an effect, but you missed it, right? right. That's mm-hmm. also a mistake, a wrong conclusion. Right. So those are the two approaches. So if you use p-values continuously, And you Mm -hmm. just say, yeah, you know, the smaller it is, the less I feel like the null hypothesis is true, then you might be a Fisherian. Mm -hmm. But if you do, if you specify an alpha and it may, if you do power analysis to control Mm -hmm. the type 2 array, then you're basically doing Neyman-Pearson hypothesis testing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which is, yeah. And there was a lot of tension. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of contention between them, mainly because I think... Well, it sounds like Carl Pearson was kind of an unpleasant character, and so was Ari Fisher, (laughs) and they kept fighting with each other. Yeah. From Cohen from 1990, there's this wonderful section where he says, you know, that, you know, Carl Pearson edited Biometrica, so a lot of Fisher's research was kept out of it. And he Mm -hmm. says, after the old man Pearson retired, efforts by Egon Pearson and Naaman to avoid battling Fisher were to no avail. Fisher wrote that they were like Russians who thought that pure science should be geared to... Technological performance, as in a five year plan. He once led a discussion on a paper by Na- Naaman at the Royal Statistical Society by saying Naaman should have chosen a topic on which he could speak with authority.
2: <laughs> so
0: he fiercely condemned this sort of approach. Um, but you're right, in the Fisher- Fisherian approach, which, which actually, and the reason I bring it up is because there's sort of the statistical part of it, but then the question you asked me earlier was these interpersonal, personal issues right Mm -hmm. i mean of course like Mm -hmm. well not not in this case that people are fighting but then your question is that the sort of hypothesis testing there's a sort of social element to it right um Mm -hmm. so in your paper with go uygin tunk and mehmet Um, the epistemic and pragmatic function of dichotomous claims based on statistical hypothesis test. Um, mm-hmm. You do mention that, you know, the fact that we use these dichotomous claims of do we, you know, accept it or not, it, it plays a social function, right? Because you're staking a claim, you're making mm-hmm. this claim that then researchers can, other researchers can sort of evaluate and be like, do we agree? Do we not agree? And stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's not that the, that the function of the, like having this sort of cutoff where you say, okay, now after this, we sort of, you know, reject the null. Mm-hmm. And then we say, you, you know, you're staking a claim that the the function of it is mostly sort of almost social.
1: Right? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, the paper is two sides. There's an epistemic role of this Mm -hmm. and there i mean we won't go into detail but there's an approach uh, methodological falsificationism that sort of requires people to make claims Mm -hmm. statements like i saw something i observed some data but yeah we also speculate because yeah how do we know but okay so we speculate a little bit that this thing of making claims Mm -hmm. has a social function and and we think actually a good social function so Mm-hmm. and um it's kind of i thought it was a funny joke because we make it in the paper uh there's something that's known as cunningham's law
2: hmm. uh, have you heard of this i have it's, not
1: it's it's the trick that if you want to get a question answered mm-hmm. uh, the best way so the law states the best way to get the right answer on the internet is not to ask a question it is to post the wrong answer, <laughs> right? Because then somebody wants to correct you. They're like, oh, no, right. that answer is not correct. But if you yeah. just ask, hey, can somebody help me? People are like, no, no, I'm too busy. But if somebody <laughs> is wrong on the internet, uh, yeah. <laughs> people are very motivated to point out, no, no, right. no, that's not right. You should do it like this. Yeah. Well, and we kind of make this joke that hypothesis testing works a little bit like this. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm curious what you think about this because I think we just wrote this up and I mean, it underwent peer review. It's now published, right. but we haven't discussed it with so many people. So I'm curious what you think about it. But um, the the idea is that in science there's so much stuff happening, right? Right. And if you want to start a discussion about something, or you want to convince people, so mm-hmm. this is the social process, not just you know generating knowledge, but mm-hmm. also getting it in the minds of other people. Yeah. Then one way to do this is making a claim, because making a claim will draw attention,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it will also draw criticism. And this is part of a process that um, Popper calls conjectures and refutations, hmm. right? So he has a book on this process. So this is a back and forth between scientists. And it starts with one side making a claim for others to clearly criticize. Hmm. Yeah. So what do you think about this?
0: I mean, that that is very interesting. I think you're right about the sort of instinctive people to right like helping somebody and like whatever right but proving hmm. somebody wrong is just i think more intrinsically motivating especially i guess to people <laughs> who are in 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 this discipline right i yeah, m- yeah,
2: yeah
0: yeah like you are sort of i mean i i think you and i would probably agree i'm I, I think others might too that it is sort of maybe attracts people who are who sort of like debating and like challenging sure, yeah. each other's ideas and so i think there's yeah. something fun about challenging and questioning and also you know Being proven right, Mm. I guess, in a sense. So,
1: yeah, yeah, I think we even had it as an example in the itch to publish episode. Yeah, I think we did. Where, you know, writing a commentary (laughs) pointing out that somebody is wrong is like an itch to publish. So, yeah, exactly this. Yeah, this feeling. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
0: I mean, I would say, I mean, if if people are on purpose putting out something that they think is wrong just to get people thinking (laughs) about it, I'm not sure if I agree with that approach, Mm. primarily Mm. because I think. Sure, somebody might actually try to challenge what you said, but a lot mm-hmm. of people won't, right? Like, they will take your what you say on face value. Um, yeah, so it's then a dangerous it just get, thing. It's a dangerous with, thing yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a dangerous mm-hmm. game to play um, if you if you do it with that intention. But certainly, I think staking a claim, with as long as you're clear about the uncertainty with which... I mean, you're certainly making a claim and you're saying, mm-hmm. oh, this is the evidence we think mm-hmm. this is the case
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's good enough as long as you're sort of transparent about how much uncertainty exists yeah. in in you know you're like yeah, yeah we have to and i think you know and, and sometimes with these sort of dichotomous claims it's also like sometimes it's almost you, you have to make decisions about things right if you're in a if you're mm-hmm. in medical research or if you're a, a doctor yeah, in yeah. medical research right it's it's not simply that you're mm-hmm. saying that something might be true it's also that the yeah. claims that are being made lead to actual practical consequences. So a yeah. decision has to be made, right? That's
1: that's another good reason to right. make claims. So right. we, we, we'll, we'll go into this in a second. I just want to go back one go second. Back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one more comment about this uh, social nature. Right. So, I mean, sometimes people have titles that are just also attracting attention, right? They're just... Uh, uh, mm. Overclaiming a right. little bit in their mm-hmm. title or making a provocative yeah. statement it has right. the same role of getting people uh, to pay attention and to engage yeah um, well i don't agree and,
0: with those either yeah
1: no no some journals don't allow them even mm. yeah but but mm. it's definitely a thing people do right and um you could think okay so what is the alternative to this claim making and mm-hmm. an alternative statistical approach is not to make dichotomous Inferences mm, mm-hmm. but a lot of people are a fan of replacing hypothesis testing with estimation,
0: right right mm-hmm. so
1: so don't say yes, it's there, no, it's not there. Just report the effect size. And I think you know, we can think of whether we could do this, uh, mm-hmm. whether this is enough to get people interested in your finding, but let's just say that something like the correlation between money and happiness mm-hmm. is 0.24. Mm -hmm. That is just a little bit less exciting and engaging, I think, for scientists, as the claim, money makes you happy. (laughs) Because in the second, I'm just like, seven things pop up that like, no, but not like this, or not under these circumstances, or there are definitely boundary conditions that I'm going to show. But in the correlation is 0.24. I'm just like, uh uh-huh sure, like, whatever, <laughs> you know, it doesn't do this thing. So mm. it doesn't draw attention or get people motivated. So and, and Popper really thinks, by the way, this conjectures and refutations is not just to keep us busy. He mm. thinks this process of criticism, yeah, is very important in science, that you have other people who go in and criticize you, because then only we see if these claims actually survive, you know, and a correlation of 2.4 is also a claim. But yeah, you don't get anybody motivated to refute this estimate right so if they're under not, normal circumstances I mean yeah
0: yeah if they're not even paying attention they're not going to try to refute your research but then yeah. I would ask you like how is that any different from like tabloid headlines mm-hmm. isn't that it, like isn't that kind of what you're doing essentially is that oh nobody would read it otherwise so we have to make this like clickbait
1: yeah well, in in some cases the titles it's like go into the yeah, scientific mm-hmm, clickbait. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But but it is scientific <laughs> clickbait. I mean, you know. And but I think sometimes um, it the only difference is, of course, that there is well, eventually, uh, some sort of truth. Somebody is, you know, proven right or wrong. But I mean, in the tabloids, it's just like, uh, you know. Uh, just to get you to read it, and then there's nothing else. But in, in science, I think the idea is really you don't just make a claim. You also have to defend it. So there is this mm. back and forth based mm-hmm. on the process of testing, and people are trying to prove other people wrong. And some some hypothesis, in the end, sort of survives. That's the difference with tabloids where nothing survives. It's all <laughs> crap, yeah. right? So, so, yeah, we use a bit of the same uh, trick. Right, but with a loftier goal—not just to sell papers, yeah—but to get, get to the truth. Yeah.
0: Engaged. Mm. But then I ask you: Do you think that? Do you think that the way people use null hypothesis significance testing is mm-hmm. like valid? Like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like does it get us to the answers that we're trying to get at, or are the way the hypotheses are formulated, or the mm-hmm. way that the statistic you know the substantive hypotheses are mm-hmm. like are like lead to the generation of statistical hypotheses is that chain like valid in in a yeah on average
1: yeah i think it's a very good question that we don't really know the answer of i mm-hmm. think you know and and i think people who criticize hypothesis testing do it sort of on principle most of the time there are some empirical papers that look at what we actually do in practice mm hmm um, and where things go better and where they don't. So there is, I think, first of all, there is a way to do this in a coherent approach that actually works. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that I was sort of trained in, you know, cognitive psychology mm-hmm. uh, background, social cognition, but, you know, a lot of the methods came from cognitive psychology and... um There there was really this process of carefully testing hypotheses, having competing predictions, doing a Mm. couple of replication and extension studies. Like, you know, you do a couple of studies because data collection was relatively easy. And there I had the feeling that often people are doing a pretty good job in testing different hypotheses and, you know, doing it sort of as it was intended to do. Mm. Um, But in general, is this done in a sort of sensible way? Um, I, I don't know. And of course we all know some examples where it doesn't go so well, you know. So this is I guess a case where we have to open the journals and see, you know, where where is this a sensible thing and where not. And uh, I do agree because you're sort of asking and, and, and answering the question a little <laughs> bit, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> so yeah, so often this is quite a weakness, right? People right. do the hypothesis test and this is the cargo cult thing. Right. They do the hypothesis test, but it's not a very meaningful test.
0: Yeah. So if I were to ask you to make an argument for getting rid of null hypothesis significance testing, Mm -hmm. well, yeah.
1: Yeah. well, get, getting rid of a hammer is never a good idea. You know, you have to keep <laughs> it in your toolbox because there are just some you times might where need you'll it. need it. Yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a big fan of banning, banning things, which uh-huh. people have proposed as well, like right. banning hypothesis testing, uh-huh. uh, which I think is not so smart. But um, we did write a paper. Um, so this is a topic that I've, you know, I've worked on a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. we're referring a bit to my papers here, but, yeah. you know, I think uh, it's just a topic no, I thought about a lot. Right. And um, we have a paper which I like. It's a paper we wrote with the lab uh, with Anna Schill and uh, Leo Tjokin and Peter Isager. And Mm -hmm. the title is Why Hypothesis Testers Should Test Less hypotheses." Right. So, and the point we make there is that very often people are not ready to perform a Mm. meaningful test of a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And what you sort of point at like is the relationship between things that they're testing yeah formally we call this a derivation chain Mm -hmm. from the theory to the way that we operationalize our measures to the statistical test we perform so these this test should be consequential it should have some consequences for Mm -hmm. what you're testing and, and last time you also, we discussed null findings right mm-hmm. in the episode on publication bias. Right. And, and you pointed out that sometimes, you know, uh, does carrot soup prevent cancer? Yeah. I mean, if it does uh-huh. or doesn't, like a null effect, a null result is not very informative there. Right. so it's, And I, I mentioned then like, yeah, so that's actually a criticism of asking bad questions. and right. But we do. So we often ask bad questions. We do a hypothesis test before we really have a situation where that's a very sensible thing to do
2: and
1: mm-hmm. and there you know there's many other things we should do more like description or right. measurement uh, development or, or those kind of things because all of that needs to be in order before you can do a good hypothesis test right uh, but people often skip those things and that is yeah also in this cult cult of statistical significance. Uh, yeah, we we do these tests. And also what uh, uh, Bacon uh, said in 1966, right? Mm-hmm. We translate everything into a hypothesis test. Right. When often we should actually say, wait, let's just describe a little bit what's going on in the literature so that we have some, you know, mm-hmm. we know a little bit how whatever happens here.
0: Yeah. And I'm so yeah. We actually had so in the podcast that um m- m- my my previous podcast um with mm-hmm. Paul mm-hmm. Connor um mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun. We actually had Anna on to talk about mm-hmm. that paper. Mm-hmm. And it was a really fun episode. And Paul yeah. made this point, which I think was a good point, is that I mean we're talking here about sort of hypothesis testing in this really formal sense. But even say we're doing things earlier in the duration chain, mm-hmm. you kind of are. It's hard to get away from doing mm-hmm. hypo- like hypothesis testing in sort of the statistical yeah. sense, right? Because even if you're doing yeah. measurement and you want to see like, oh, yeah, is your measure valid enough, right? You will end up like sometimes using yeah. p-values and using sort of these effect sizes, even in that context to make decisions yeah. about is this a good enough measure or not? Like, yeah. are we seeing it out, right? So it's sort of the the, the boundaries are so blurred and the, the p-values are the, these like really easy like Useful and even useful, I would say, in some cases, heuristics to use to to Mm -hmm. get you to these like interim answers to get to the point where you can do this hypothesis testing with like capital H and capital T. You know what I mean?
1: Like, yeah. Well, it's not just capital H and capital T. I think I think what you're describing is a difference between Fisherian testing Mm. and Neyman Pearson hypothesis testing. So for this Neyman-Pearson version, you really mm-hmm. needed this alternative. But before that, what you can do is just have things like, hey, wait, are my data actually normally mm. distributed? Because I need to know if it's normally distributed or not. Or I need to do something like a factor analysis on my measures. Like, right. okay, so, so there you don't have alternative hypotheses. Ah. And this Fisherian uh, testing uh, is actually a pretty good approach for assumption checks, for example. Like, you just want to know, you know, should I reject right. the null? Yeah. no i don't have to reject the null okay is there a clear alternative no actually not so hmm. um in this sense i would say that what you're doing what feels premature is actually you only have this null most of the time you, hmm. you're not doing the advanced version and if you want to call it capital h capital t i'm very happy with this i uh-huh. think neyman pearson testing is definitely the more developed coherent approach for testing scientific hypotheses uh, very um, interesting. yeah but sometimes you just want to say is there something going on so a signal Noise detection, right? Right. right. This, should mm-hmm, I take mm-hmm, this mm-hmm, as a mm-hmm, signal? Mm-hmm. And right. that is really what this Fisherian approach does in itself pretty well.
0: Yeah, that is fascinating. And, and, and I like it's not something I had sort of thought about before, but I think that's a very, very interesting, like a good way to look at it. But can mm-hmm. I read you? So, one of my mm-hmm. favorite quotes about the null hypothesis also comes from Jacob Cohen. I, every mm-hmm. time I read him, it just cracks me up. But this is from his <laughs> 1990 paper of like things I've learned so far. But I just, I love this quote so much. So he says, the null hypothesis taken literally, and that's the Mm. only way you can take it in formal hypothesis testing, is always false in the real world. It can only be true in the bowels of a computer processor running a Monte Carlo study. And even then a stray electron can make it false. (laughs) If it is false, even to a tiny degree, it must be the case that a large enough sample size will produce a significant result and lead to its rejection. So, if the mm-hmm. null hypothesis is always false, what's mm-hmm. the big deal about rejecting it?
1: Yeah. I, I know this quote well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think um, I, I even, I mean, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think I have a blog post somewhere, I don't know, 2016 or something, mm-hmm.
2: you know, nice. mm-hmm. uh,
1: which is titled the, the Null is Always False. Nice. Unless it is true. <laughs> and the thing is, like, how are we supposed to know? when the knowledge, you know, but that the null is always false is a pretty strong statement. So let me just give you some um, things to counter this. Or let me first agree. That's maybe okay. better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, and this is also by Paul Mill, and Paul mm-hmm. Mill calls this the crud factor. Right,
0: yes. And, mm-hmm. and the
1: crut factor is really that, especially in correlational research, mm-hmm. and maybe especially in psychology, he calls this everything is related to everything. Everything, right. So, uh, let's say, where do I agree? If you have a set of data points like measures and you're Mm -hmm. doing correlations between them the probability that the null hypothesis is true is very very small i think you know it is an uninteresting hypothesis to reject because yeah most things correlate with each other Mm -hmm. now where mill draws the line sort of tentatively but he draws a line a little bit says well if we have random assignment to conditions Mm -hmm. the situation changes and actually Hmm. cohen says the null is never true but then In a later paper, he says, well, you know, of course, in randomized controlled experiments, Hmm. you know, that's a situation where hypothesis testing might have something going for it. Hmm. And... You know, that's not in this nice quote, but yeah. this is a 19, 1995 paper. It's actually a commentary on another paper, 1994 paper, mm-hmm. uh, which called The Earth is Round, P, P smaller than 0. 0. 0.05. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Also a funny good paper. But yeah. there's a commentary on this. Uh, like other people have written commentaries and he replies. Mm-hmm. And in this reply, he just basically admits like, oh yeah, by the way, if you're doing, you know, randomized controlled trials or something or experiments, then I think hypothesis testing has a role. You're like, oh wait, that's a pretty big, caveat uh mr cohen because (laughs) that's actually what a lot of people do they do a lot of you know hypothesis testing in experiments but okay so in correlations Hmm. not so interesting to do no hypothesis significance testing Mm. in experiments i have to say i mean and we saw this uh, again in the previous episode we talked about the null being Mm -hmm. true sometimes right i mean or at least people finding null effects Right, And that actually a large percentage of the studies we do ha- have null effects. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I can give you a list of papers where people have collected data. Actually, many of the uh, many labs, mm-hmm. registered replication reports, you know, have thousands of participants. Mm. They find null results. Mm-hmm. So sure, maybe that, you know, if we had collected a million people, uh, we would have found, found a significant effect but it seems that sometimes at least mm-hmm. the null is close enough mm-hmm. so that we are not able to practically reject it with the sample sizes we're willing to collect hmm. and so I think you can take this in the extreme f- point and I think what Cohen does is make a very theoretical point, the no is never true, right? whether this is true in theory or not, I don't know and also I don't care <laughs> you know, God knows if the null is never true, but we are never gonna get there because we can't collect enough data points to even distinguish this. Right. What we actually do is we, in practice, we don't test the null because every design mm-hmm. has, um, I think I mentioned this once before, a minimal statistically detectable effect. Right. So given an alpha and a sample size, there are only certain effects we can reject. Right. If we observe them. So mm-hmm. these tiny, tiny effect sizes, we never have even the studies to uh, test them. And it would be interesting to say, hey, this is we're talking about a null hypothesis test, but actually in practice what I'm doing is, well, I'm testing against some values a little bit further away than zero. Mm-hmm. Because these, whether it's zero or 0.001, yeah. You I just mean,
0: don't have the power to detect them.
1: You can do a minimum effect test. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to test against an effect of zero. And if you think you look, all these tiny effects don't matter. And this is also a recommendation people have done for uh, 70 years or so. Yeah. So if you have a problem with this, even Mm -hmm. if you agree, the problem is solved by, well, then you test against an effect of 0.05 or something, you know, like a tiny null effect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But so, but I, I mean, now we are moving into the direction of sort of big data, a lot of people yeah. do work with True. massive, massive, you know, data sets and really, really big sample sizes. Like, True. do you worry? Do you worry about that? Because I do sometimes. Yeah. Worry that we d- we will end up finding a lot of significant yeah. effects when people are use you know, I mean, there's so much information available, right? There's so much data yeah. out there now that you can have just like massive sample sizes. You will it's end up getting p values yeah. really, really small. So maybe it's we a very should good point. Yeah, think yeah. about focusing yeah. on effect yeah. sizes versus, you know, yeah. not, yeah. and I've, I've even seen it. I mean, now that, I mean, now I think that the when the sort of the distinction between sort of statistics, classic statistics and sort of data science is getting mm-hmm. a little bit blurry. I've mm-hmm. seen this confusion and maybe this goes back to the thing we were talking about, about people not knowing exactly what they're doing and just sort of these rote, you know, replications mm-hmm. of stuff that's done and the same things get called by different names. So, for example like there's this thing called cosine similarity which is pretty much the same thing as a correlation but i've seen in papers like that we're reading with psychologists and it's mm-hmm. like they're it's it, it's like saying that oh, the, cor- the the cosine similarity went from 0.052 to mm-hmm. 0.054 <laughs> and it's statistically significant yep. because the data sets are huge but yep. the fact is people don't even know how to interpret that cuz they don't know that it is the same yep. thing as a correlation so it's like you know you're getting the yeah. significant, and you, and you just take it on their word. But if you really understood that, oh, this is a measure of an effect size, which is kind of like a correlation, nobody yeah. would take that seriously, right? Going from a point oh five two to a point oh five four, that you know, yeah. no psychologist would take that seriously if they knew what they were looking at, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a good point. Again, it is one of those points mentioned sometimes, but it's becoming especially relevant. Right. You're completely right with this big data that right. we have now. So it's 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 something that you know people have discussed many, many years ago already, and it's called practical significance. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it can be statistically significant, but right. practically meaningless. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And uh, we're getting into an age where this is becoming more important to deal with because right. our data sets are becoming larger. So I think this is also actually what you see a little bit in the literature. Mm-hmm. So there were some discussion papers back and forth about small effects are the foundation of psychological science. There was a paper about this a while ago. Uh-huh. And then some people, me, me included, but some other people <laughs> wrote papers uh-huh. saying, yeah. hey, um, we should really think carefully about which effects matter because right. if we say any small effect is important and the foundation, in you know, then what are we doing? We're getting exactly these kind of tiny mm-hmm. effects. And if they're theoretically relevant, good. But if, if you're only, uh, and again, in this cargo cult paper, it says, or, and in this Bakan quote that we mm-hmm. had, mm-hmm. if you use the p-value to say that it's relevant or not, yeah, yeah, that's not really good. You should think, is this actually meaningful in light of something? Mm-hmm. But this is actually a difficult question. So you have to come up with something that determines what is the smallest effect that is still interesting, right? right? not everything yeah. is interesting you just said this was too small whatever it was you know mm-hmm. it was too small so now we come to a very challenging question that our field has not addressed a correlation of point
0: 002 difference daniel <laughs> well
1: well uh, you know it, it 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 will just be your entire career that's built on this tiny difference and then it matters <gasps> to you, you know? no no i agree i think most people would say yeah that is really not important but that's also not good enough, right? We can all right. say, yeah, this this feels really, really small. Uh-huh. But I think we need to do something a bit more principled. So right. we'll see probably this becomes a big topic in the future.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have excellent, I mean, you have some work on it, right? The smallest effect size yeah. of interest, which, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. in the, I mean, theoretically, it to- totally makes sense and it, we should do it. But I mean... It's so hard to come up. It's
1: difficult. Yeah. It's so it, difficult. It requires to... a lot of work. Right. No, I agree. I mean in some fields it's a bit easier, but in many fields it's very difficult. And I think right. but it is so important. Yeah. yeah. So um so you need those kind of things to make hypothesis tests not become a little bit of a silly yeah. Thing, right? And I would say if you have like thousands and thousands of data points, um, or even millions,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I am always kind of happy if people say, "Look, we have thousands of data points. Mm-hmm. p values are going to be very small. We don't really, you know, we're not, right. we might report them, but we don't really focus on that here. Mm-hmm. That that's a good paper for me. And if, if and if the opposite happens, like this was significant, so this is important.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, but a I bit mean, <laughs> it,
2: it
0: is a bit cultish. But then what would you, I mean, like we're talking, I mean, these are complicated issues. And I think at the end of the day, I think a lot of these discussions about, oh, how do we do hypothesis testing and how do we use statistics and how do we do it well? I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of work and it's sort of a case by case thing, right? So Mm -hmm. what would you say to like people that are just starting out or like Mm -hmm. new researchers or new, you know, whatever students, like, how do you deal with all this complication when you're just starting out hmm. because this road application, right. Is maybe is the thing to start out with, right. You can, I, the amount of time it takes to sort of yeah, get sophisticated in sort hmm. of the history of it and sort of understanding what you're doing and why you're doing it. Like that takes a lot of effort, right?
1: Yeah. Well, this is a good point. And I think uh, it touches on one of the main I would say, criticisms of hypothesis testing, and that is people are just not using them well,
2: you mm-hmm. know? Yeah.
1: I mean, it's sort of like giving people uh, a driver's license, but mm-hmm. actually they didn't do any good tests. <laughs> yeah. uh, they don't wear a seatbelt. They're right. speeding. I uh-huh. mean, some people kind of actually have the car in reverse, even, I think, if you think about it, <laughs> like what they're <laughs> doing is, uh, uh-huh. you know, really kind of messed uh-huh. up. Um yeah. And and we still let them all on the highway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, right. you know, so I think this is the main recommendation. Now, um, so what should you do if you get started? Well, I think this is really because we're building our claims on this and we're evaluating mm-hmm. things, right? Yeah. And maybe a benefit mm-hmm. of having hypothesis testing is that this is the tool that most people use to make claims, you know? So, In any case, there's some standardization. This Mm -hmm. is apparently a tool many of us use. You don't have to learn about 27 different philosophies underlying claim-making in in science. Mm -hmm. This is a thing that many fields have decided upon. So that also means that this is a thing you can spend a bit more time on to learn about. So I definitely think that in most cases, and in my case, 100%, -hmm. the moment I got my PhD, I definitely had not learned enough about this. Hmm. I already had my PhD and I realized that throughout this time, I managed to get to this point without anybody forcing me, Hmm. not my supervisors, not reviewers, nobody forced me to do a better job than I was doing,
2: Hmm.
1: which was based on imitation and just copying what I saw, but really lacked an understanding of what I was Mm -hmm. doing. So, So you can clearly, I mean... So one thing is you can ignore it. You can clearly get published. right, right. (laughs) So one thing is just copy what people are doing and hope that, you know, it's not too bad. Mm -hmm. But this is an area where I think people have really focused a little bit more on creating good educational material. Again, I mean, you know, maybe my own educational material. (laughs) No, your courses
0: are great. In fact, when I started in my first semester of graduate school, we heard it many times. People were like, oh, you guys should... You know, I think that's what they recommended to everybody that was coming in in the first year is like, oh, you should watch Daniel Locken's courses on Coursera. Hmm. So they're super well, helpful.
1: Yeah. Lo- lovely to hear, but um, well, I mean, there's probably more, you know, there are other good right. books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whatever it is, you probably should invest some time in picking right. a source to learn more about this and mm-hmm. uh, diving into this. Because, you know, learning that there are these common misconceptions and preventing those, learning the difference between Fisher and Neyman, mm-hmm. these two approaches, I think, right. is sensible. And then, yeah, if you can pick something that you think, yeah, this is sort of what I am doing here. You know, this is right. my my method of choice. Um I think you can get pretty far in preventing a lot of uh, uh, incorrect conclusions, you know, mm-hmm. because people, again, I mean, you can literally pick even only in the last decade, one of those 123 papers <laughs> that were written about this. Yeah. And many of them will point out all these things we do wrong. It's not right. always easy to know what to do better. But in many cases, it's really just. Don't interpret a non-significant result as the absence of an effect. Don't interpret a significant result as a practically significant result. Don't interpret a significant p-value as if the hypothesis is true or if it's now more than 95% sure that it will replicate. I think those, you know, you already got a couple of the main misinterpretations. Right.
0: So, I, I mean, yeah, but what's scarier about it is that even a lot of the text on hypothesis testing and things mm-hmm. like p-values is wrong. So I think Felix Schonbruth had a, a project where he looked at just the way sort of p-values is, are described in the literature. And a lot of, yeah, even textbooks describe it mm-hmm. wrong. So I think mm-hmm. it creates this issue of even if somebody's going out to understand these things, they might end mm-hmm. up with. Sometimes you find contradictory information, you sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, the people that are trying to describe it are describing it wrong, or they're not explained well. So, you know, it, yeah, like, I'm I'm not saying there's a solution. I'm just trying to point out that it is so complicated. And the fact that there's sort of contradictory information makes it so difficult to sort of wrap your, you know, like, you have to really dive in deep over years over the stuff to actually get a handle on what's going on.
1: I completely agree. Like yeah. last week, I was I was reading through somebody's textbook, actually read from mm-hmm. reading a textbook, and and this is somebody who I know did my course.
2: Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and and I uh-huh. spend a lot
1: of time and also in my textbook I spent a lot of time on preventing misinterpretations mm-hmm. of B values mm-hmm. and in, in in this book which was lovely in many ways <laughs> even yeah. in this book by this person who right. really put in all the effort to try uh-huh. to learn you know I know yeah. that they tried yeah. it even they got it wrong so I had to say you know this is a lovely book and here's a couple of things I would change like yeah. the definition uh-huh. of a B value It it is interesting and um, I don't know I mean I'm interested why we don't try harder you know Uh, because we all know that we are messing this up and we don't try to make the world's best, like I I once proposed this, like let's get together and make Uh. the world's best educational material on this topic. You know, everybody just chimes in, makes it the best, and we agree, this is the version. And then we put that on the website somewhere. Like, how difficult can it be?
0: Very. Um, Daniel?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't know why. But, I mean, why don't people want to do this? Like, it's so important, you know? It's sort of like saying, oh, yeah, you know, all these cars keep crashing again and again and again. Yeah, but, you know, well, whatever. No. I mean, people have interventions, you know? They try to build safer cars, or they change, change the road, and they whatever you know we do stuff if there are errors that are being made constantly we try to fix them but on this we don't do a lot um again i'm just going to um uh, i'm just going to say that my textbook my first chapter on p values and hypothesis it's, testing is a is definitive error-free. yeah <laughs> it is very good No, i mean yeah then try that you know it's free i mean go and uh, but i agree yeah. it is well what it shows is just how difficult it is for people to get it right
0: right and sometimes i i think that the the issue is also that like i saying like i'm talking about right like since they're complicated people i think try to explain them in a way that would make sense to a novice and i think you do Mm -hmm. lose some things in translation or maybe yeah you know things are being explained in a way that aren't totally accurate because they're trying to
2: yeah make them less
0: complicated for i think that's also one of the issues but i mean getting everybody together right i mean if people have interventions about how to stop car crashes, I'm sure, you know, 10 people will have 10 different ideas about what to do,
1: right? Yeah. Well, we can test. I actually once again wrote a blog post on this. I said, look, I have this online course, right, mm-hmm. which you say people, people do and like. And yes. I said, hey, I, I can replace my um, educational material. Or mm-hmm. actually, there's even an A-B test. So there are two versions mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. course actually <laughs> oh, running always. Nice. So I said, hey, I mean, I'm happy. If you think you can do a better job, Send me your materials. I'll replace my materials in one of the A/B tests with uh, wow. your materials. Nice. We have quizzes about mm-hmm. p-values throughout the course. Okay, you can show me that your materials better, and then mm. the, may the best person win. So I think mm. we have we have ways. We can do it. Um, right. Yeah, but apparently we don't. We don't care. Anyway, yeah. the misinterpretations are very common. Right. It's true. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you think? we can fix that by replacing testing with anything else or will all statistical approaches lead to the same amount of mistakes
0: i mean yeah no i think all i think all of it will <laughs> lead to the same amount of mistakes because of the things that i said in the beginning i mm. think it's you know it's complicated people mm. you know it, it's difficult to teach um a lot of the people yeah. who are i think really good at it this stuff are mm. not that great at teaching which makes it mm. difficult and you know, it's yeah. one of the things that you sort of can appreciate even more when you've taught, like mathematics. I think to kids is that what you're trying to do is like, yeah, even with statistics, right? You're trying to help people create these sort of mental models that are so complicated that it's 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 a very mm-hmm. difficult job to do, it unless you do it really really well, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. that's why I think yeah. your course is great because you're able to communicate things well. Okay, but I okay, think, enough,
1: enough about well, that. Yeah. You know, okay, <laughs> let's stop it with the yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> This is not an advertisement. I mean, no, okay. but no, I mean, you know, it's it's
0: it's a, you do need to be skillful at communicating well mm. to be able to teach these kind of yeah. things well. And that doesn't, oh, even like, you know, like the podcast that I really like, Quantitude. I think yeah. that's one of oh, the yeah. reasons why they, they are really, really good is that they're able to communicate really well and yeah. make things interesting example. and fun, you know, while still being able to teach you things that are kind of complicated. And it it is an issue, right? I mean, a lot of people yeah. don't... It, I mean, it's interesting to maybe like people like us intrinsically, but not to everybody, right? Not everybody no. wants to get into the weeds of things unless it's sort of interesting yeah. and you can make it sort of, you know, yeah. relatable and kind of fun and you can give them analogies ca- that kind of make sense. So I think the, the quantity, yeah, you know, Greg yeah. and um, Patrick, they do it really, really well, but it it's hard to do. So I think with yeah. any kind of any any approach, I think, yeah. I mean, we'll just have to live with it and try to make the best of it that we can. And Try to dispel a lot of the misconceptions, but yeah, I don't think like shifting to something totally different is going to be any better. Yeah.
1: No, and I, again, I mean, maybe we can, you know, there there are papers now about base factors and uh, mm. a rec- recent paper showing that 92% of papers make mm-hmm. at least one of possible mistakes mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. drawing inferences from them. So that's yeah. definitely, it doesn't look like it's going to be better. Okay, no. there may be, you know, it's not introduced in educational ways, so maybe people have been trained less, but still. Right. It's very difficult, I agree. Um, So, we have the problem of cargo culty kind of behavior. People Mm -hmm. do it mindlessly, and maybe few, yeah, maybe even few like they have to do it and don't Mm -hmm. ask other questions. We have the problem that people are not doing it well because it's just very difficult. Mm Are there other negative aspects about introducing this policy of a hypothesis testing? Did you think of anything else? So so one of the reasons maybe we should say that we decided to do this topic was because last time we talked about publication bias. right? And of course, making dichotomous claims, right. it's there, it's not there, uh, leaves a lot of our studies in this category. Oh, I didn't support my hypotheses. Uh, let's just not publish mean it, hide it away, right? right? So that's a, another social consequence of having a hypothesis testing uh, approach that dominates what we do in a lot of our studies. And, and that's a very negative social uh, consequence, right? We don't mm-hmm. have to hide these away. And, right. and many people have said, not do it. Well, anyway, we discussed it last episode, mm-hmm. but it still happens. So that's another, I would say, negative consequence of having hypothesis testing.
0: Right, yeah. And it is that thing that I sort of brought up last time, right, is that the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence, right? So if you mm-hmm. find a null result, it's sort of mm-hmm. you yeah. can't say anything either way, and so I think it does lead to this consequence. Like, yeah, what, what have we learned? And if the answer yeah. is nothing, then, yeah, what's yeah. the point of having it out there, you know?
1: Yeah, and here I think that the people who are proposing to replace hypothesis testing by estimation have a bit, mm-hmm. a bit of a better... Point because they say, look, if we don't classify things as positive or negative, and we just say here's the estimate, yeah, everything is an estimate. You know, everything <laughs> has some some estimate. So uh, yeah. there's no reason to hide away part of the result. So
0: mm-hmm. and do you think that? But would would people categorize the sort of estimation approach as more just descriptive?
1: Yeah. Versus. I mean, yeah. You you would not have yeah, you can yeah, I mean you can also report a confidence interval and then still use it as a test. So if the right. confidence interval does right, not include right, right. 0, but right. people are really saying no, that's not the idea. So it's mm-hmm. really just estimation, not testing. Because anything that where you are testing, uh you you have a category of things that did not work out and then mm-hmm. people feel the need to hide those. So yeah. I think that's actually the strongest argument for estimation that uh, the file drawer might become a bit smaller, do you think that would work?
0: Potentially. I mean, I am I'm I guess I'm good at predicting numbers, but not stuff like this. Like
2: oh. <laughs> No, this would be amazing. I think if you
1: can predict this. No, here we really have no clue, right? I mean, which is yeah, we a good the point answer. in itself. So right. uh, this is so uncertain. I mean, yeah. it could be. Yeah, it's an yeah. interesting hypothesis to test, but maybe we should take a look, right? And right. and maybe there are fields where people are doing much more estimation. Maybe we can take a look like, do these people not have file drawers? It would be interesting to see.
0: That would be Could interesting be. to see. I wonder where, I yeah. mean, definitely, I mean, since I'm, you know, f- follow some of the psychometric measurement
2: mm-hmm.
0: approach there, I think they do a lot more. There's a lot less hypothesis mm-hmm. testing. I mean, they do have some P values, but a lot of focus is on just like effect sizes and yeah, yeah. Um, those kinds of things. And I, do they have fewer file drawers? Maybe,
2: Yeah, who knows? Not, <laughs> yeah, we, we should ask. Yeah.
1: I think the same happens sometimes in personality psychology. Right, you know? they just right, correlate right, everything right. with other things. And again, their hypothesis uh, test might not even be that interesting. So mm-hmm. they might even focus more on effect sizes indeed. But yeah. definitely publication bias is a bit less, you know, just sort of right. a correlation matrix. Yeah. yeah. No need just for, hair, for hair publication bias. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so that could be could be a good thing about it. Yeah. 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 Um, but you, you also said that... Um, um it might not be enough earlier because we need to make decisions i mean you were talking about medicine right so we parked that issue for a bit but maybe now is the time to what about the need to make kind of dichotomous flames yes no it worked Mm -hmm. it didn't work so you said medicine of course there right it's sort of like a an intervention where people have to make a real life decision are we going to roll out the drug or not Right. right
0: yeah exactly um, mm-hmm. So, there, yeah, so now now we're talking in favor of the null. <laughs> These yeah,
1: I claims, think, yeah. I don't know, we went back and forth, but this this would be, you know, uh, a reason worked. to not just replace everything with estimation because we have to make decisions sometimes. Do you think this is true or not in science? In science as well. Like, so in medicine, I understand it, you know, and I think many people agree. Medical
0: science, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, medical science. But okay, the decision, I mean, there's more to medical science than uh, right. random, randomized controlled. Drug trials, right? So, um, but do you think that beyond this, like you know, in the research you do, is there a need to make yes, no decisions in any way?
0: I mean, certainly in education research, yes. But I wonder if you want to draw a distinction between sort of applied research and Uh basic research, because I mean, I I personally, if you want to draw, I don't. Well,
1: (laughs) well. but you would say in applied don't. research. In applied research is a bit yeah, clearer. Yeah, it's mm-hmm.
0: a bit clearer like, yeah, sure. if you're doing into, you know, education research and you're like, oh, does this way of teaching this material mm-hmm. work or not? Then you do have mm-hmm. to, you know, say, okay, yeah, are we going to make policy recommendations to, sure. you know, teachers and to the, and then you need to be like, okay, yeah, we think it works or it doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. and then you make a policy. Mm-hmm. So I think in in those cases yes, but
1: in other cases maybe not.
0: In other cases yeah, maybe not, you know, maybe not. Like biologists don't have to make dichotomous claims, right? If, if, you're, if you're doing some kind of science where you're, yeah, you know, being more descriptive, you're just categorizing things, you're just trying to explain the way the world is out there, like you don't have to make...
1: If you're just describing things, I agree, probably right. not. Although, I don't know, I mean, um, how do you know that your measurement tool works? Or that um, I don't know, I mean you have to make I have the feeling that in many research lines, we mm-hmm. do make a lot of decisions mm-hmm. where we say, well, let's just assume this thing is true because that our eyes are at work, <laughs> or that uh, <laughs> if we measure the temperature, this is a good temperature measurement tool. Or even you know, if, even if you're thinking about describing things, where you say, yeah, we don't really have to measure hair length. Of this creature because there's not much variation in hair length or we don't have to do this because we've already studied it but it doesn't matter so much so we don't have to describe this so uh, you see where i'm going
0: maybe but would you but but you could also instead of saying oh this is a good measure or not you can say we think this is a fairly good measure with this amount of (laughs) measurement error Right. I mean, you even can. like even COVID tests, something like that. Right. You can say, oh, it's you know X percent effective, where you're not yeah. saying it's a good or not t- test. You're saying, oh, we think it's good enough, and this is the amount of uncertainty we have about that. Um, yeah, but
1: we we use the measure. I mean, we use yeah, the COVID yeah. test. So so that that is based on a sort of test of is it good enough to use? Right. So um, it's not that we use a covid measure with 74 percent belief in that it works no we just use it and then it has of course an error rate. it has a certain accuracy right but we made the decision to use a measure and not another measure so in in science we often have multiple measures and we test them and we say no this is a good one this is not a good one for example we don't say let's use both these measures and Mm then Uh, waive them in some way no we make a decision to do the one or the other and in interventions we say well in this intervention this you know we make decisions right often based on data let's let's try this intervention as as well because these previous people have used it so I mean it doesn't mean we believe it's true 100% right but we make dichotomous choices in our research lines
0: yes but if i'm think let's say let's say we're designing a measurement tool and and the first thing we're trying to do, of course, is you know establish the validity of this measure, right? We're trying to establish is it measuring the thing that we think it's measuring or not I mean, yeah, like I mean i do we need to have a dichotomous claim there like yes no like yes this is measuring what we think this is measuring exactly because right there there then you end up hmm. with this like all or nothing sort of a thing like oh either it is or either it's not when what is actually true is like yeah I, we think this is sort of capturing a lot of the variance that we we're trying to capture but it might all right like you have this sense of uncertainty which shouldn't we always have that in the back of our mind instead of just saying yes sure. this I mean- is the perfect measure of you know x instead of saying Oh, we Mm -hmm. think, you know, this is the evidence we have for why we think this is doing a good job of measuring what we think it's measuring. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you leave it at that instead of saying you should use this measure. And this is, you know, yes, this is a measure of X. Yeah,
1: but I mean, so we make these decisions. Of course, we always have uncertainty about everything. We never have certainty in science. That's like the thing. But um, uh, maybe instead of measurements, let's have another example. So sometimes Uh you think, look, this is an interesting effect, but before I trust it, Uh I should replicate it. Right. And then you replicate it, and maybe you replicate it again. Uh And then there's still some uncertainty. Uh But you say, yeah, but okay. This is good enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to stop replicating this. I'm going to assume that this effect is as it is. And I'm going to use it to build on in next studies where I will um, test the moderation of this effect. Or I'm going to see if it generalizes to different conditions. But Mm -hmm. we have to assume certain things are just true. Not true. (laughs) True. Right. You know, they're always uncertain to some extent. But where we say, um, I'm going to act as if this is a stable thing. Uh, it might mm-hmm. be proven wrong in the future, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. for now, I'm going to put this in my toolkit as assumptions that I'm just going to put like, okay, let's just assume right. this is a thing. This, mm-hmm. this, this effect is real right. um, because then I can use it to make predictions of other mm-hmm. things, for example. Right. And, and that I think happens in science a lot.
0: Yes. But that is not a single hypothesis test, right? That is multiple over
1: time. Um. Yes, maybe. True. Uh, sometimes we do it after one. So if somebody found something, we're like, oh, that looks interesting. I will use the same (laughs) procedure they had, you know, seems to be working there. I mean, you know, so I think the principle, of course, we try to reduce it over time. But I think the main main thing here is just that practically speaking, as you design your study, there are all these choices. And these are not, uh, am I going to implement medication? Uh, Yes or no. Policy advice. No, these are your decisions. How Mm -hmm. are you shaping your research?
0: Right. And there you do need, right, right. Yeah,
1: which, which things will you take along as a covariate or which things have you dismissed? Like, yeah, we've looked mm-hmm. into this four times, but we, you know, it doesn't matter how old people are. So we don't have to, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we don't have to care. We can right. sample across ages. We don't have, you know, all those kind of practical decisions happen, yeah. I
2: think. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, so these things and yeah, and there, I mean, you could say something like, well, I'm just uh, updating my posterior belief about all these 204 uh, auxiliary assumptions Uh that I need to reach this point after 20 years of research on topic X. No, I think cognitively we can't do this, you know?
2: Hmm.
0: So it's unavoidable is what you're saying, making dichotence claims and using null hypothesis (sighs) significance testing.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, unavoidable, uh, but I think (laughs) cognitively speaking... Yeah, uh, science is already really hard and I don't know how to update 52 priors uh, <laughs> uh, about something or posteriors or something about something right. no I think we just say okay let's just assume this is true and this is true and this is true mm-hmm. and then this should follow from this and that's the right. thing we can test and then if it doesn't work out sure one of those things might not have been true I mean and mm-hmm. that's how science sort of works but yeah cognitively speaking I think that's sort of what we have to do and yeah it's an interesting difference in um, the You know, the people who defend hypothesis testing mm-hmm. defended for this reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, for example, a paper that I like uh, by Frick um, mm-hmm. in 1996. Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of interesting because th- this person has written some really good papers about hypothesis testing. Mm. Really good papers yeah. in 1990, sort of, you know? Nice, yeah. But it was just a little bit early but really papers where i'm like wow these are i think some of the best papers on this topic Uh, but i think in this time there was not a lot of a crisis not so much you know Uh so i think now i mean this person would have really been seen as somebody doing very useful work on this Uh Uh, and i sent this person an email i said hey why you know what what are you doing i i I couldn't find them for a very long time it was kind of difficult and eventually i found them like yeah yeah Yeah, yeah, my university didn't think this was interesting enough to give me tenure. So, uh, you know, I uh, changed careers and I'm not working there. But really somebody were like, how how did this person not make it into academia? Such good papers. Uh Anyway, so uh, this person (laughs) writes in this 1996 paper, Uh the appropriate use of null hypothesis testing, right? That's the Uh paper. Very nice. Yeah, Um, Says um, the only action science takes is to publish a claim. So we are... You know, in science, we're publishing claims, mm-hmm. um, and um, the the idea is that we collect a bunch of these claims. Mm-hmm. So science is about making claims, and we use the claims to then, you know, design other experiments and stuff. But that this is the goal: collect a bunch of claims that we right. tentatively assume is true or not to mm-hmm. be able to build on. And of course, uh, and he responds to a, a much older paper by Baum from 1960, mm. who writes, but the primary aim of a scientific experiment is not to precipitate decisions, but to make an appropriate adjustment in the degree to which one accepts or believes the hypothesis or hypotheses being tested. Mm. So, so I feel these are the two different approaches you can have here. One says, no, science is about claim making. Mm-hmm. We tentatively right assume x mm-hmm. to be true and y mm-hmm. to be true and other people really think no it's about continuous degree. adjustments right. to mm-hmm. the degree of mm-hmm. belief mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah but in that latter uh approach of updating belief yeah. yeah i don't know how do i then incorporate my belief into a dichotomous decision of using variable x or y or doing a replication study or a novel study assuming it's true and and all those things so i make practical decisions all the time as a scientist i feel right and these are decisions based on data, often, and that's what we do with our hypothesis tests. Like for now, act as if this yeah. is true. Yeah, yeah.
0: But I mean, it, you know, it, it mm-hmm. does. I mean, it, it, one of the things that sort of is confusing about it, right is that with null hypothesis significance testing, you also you always start out with assuming that the null is true, right? Which is mm-hmm. not what you're trying to get at. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. we're not even mm-hmm. trying to get at what we're trying to get at because what we're starting our starting assumption, right, is everything is conditional on. The null being true,
1: right? Um, well, uh, not not exactly. So, I mean, that is true in null hypothesis right significance testing, and this is what we mentioned in the beginning as well. Like the... many people criticize this practice, right? Uh, a lot less people criticize, let's say, completely formal Neyman Pearson right. hypothesis testing, mm-hmm. where you know you also have equivalence testing, or maybe you have range predictions. You test not mm-hmm. whether it's zero or not zero, but you test is it Larger than this value and smaller than that value. So, And I think that's important, right? Because we can sort of say, look, hypothesis testing and claim-making is wrong. You can have a philosophical problem with this. Sure, Mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. You can also say, well, no hypothesis testing is silly. Mm -hmm. Sure, but then we actually have better solutions, right? Then we have the full-on Neyman pearson Pearson hypothesis testing, where you also have equivalence tests, Mm -hmm. where you can say, look... I'm rejecting any effect large enough to matter so we have right. this practical significance well mm-hmm. we can reject any effect that would make this practically significant so so and and that's important because again I have this other paper trying to defend p yeah. values which also has a funny title I think so the practical alternative to the p value is the correctly used <laughs> p value because people yeah. always want to say so we have to do something else than yeah. p values and i'm right. basically saying yeah let's do something else than no hypothesis significance testing let's do Like a better version of it, basically. right? And and then we don't have these problems with um, Mm -hmm. not being able to, you know, only being able to reject the null, but not accept it. No. If we do it formally, we can also, well, we can never accept the null, but we can reject any effect large enough to matter. Right. And that's practically speaking good enough as well.
0: And so if I were to ask you, broadly speaking, in your experience, how well... Do people adhere to that? Like in practice? Oh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, it's getting more popular. I mean, I guess, you know. No, no. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, people are doing, um, many are not doing these kind of things. Right. But nowadays, if you would submit a registered report and you Uh try to, you know, meet the highest bar uh, for, for journals like something like Nature Human Behavior, they will tell you this is what we expect now. So mm-hmm. they have raised this bar and I think over time, I mean, this spreads quite quite rapidly because mm. the more people know that, you know, if you say P larger than 0.05, therefore the null hypothesis is true,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, the more people know like, no, this is not correct, they will point it out in reviews and that mm-hmm. happens all the time. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. is a practice that I think, you know, in 10, 20 years, many more people in psychology will know this is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Well, maybe I'm proven wrong. Well, but anyway, it's getting there. It's getting more popular.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know if we have to make this claim, these claims or not. And, and this will probably differ a lot between fields, by the way. So mm. one of the mm. reasons why this is so discussed and debated is that a lot of statisticians mm-hmm. are actually biostatisticians. Mm. And these people work in medicine. And often they can't even right. do randomized controlled trials. Mm -hmm. Because those would not be ethical or they're too costly. So they don't have access to this. So then they're basically in the correlational data kind of category. And these people, you know, they also write a lot of these criticisms. But there, if that's your field, like you can't, like, if I want to, I can do 10 replication studies in a Mm. year. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. of the kind of research I was doing, I can, if I get crazy and get to it, Mm -hmm. I can do 10 (laughs) replication studies in a year. For many people in medicine the idea that you could do 10 replication studies, that would cost millions and millions and millions. Like it was never possible and it would take decades. Right. So, but for us, we could do it in a year. Yeah, That changes whether this method is useful for you or not, right? Mm. So Mm -hmm. I just wanna say like this approach to knowledge generation where you have this claim making based on tests that are informative, is much easier in some fields than in others. Right. So that's another reason for the disagreement.
0: <laughs> if you're setting plants like Fisher sure was, yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, easy. maybe. I mean, yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. So so it's very um, let's say field dependent whether right. this is a thing you want to do. So maybe we should also add this, right? So when what's an argument against hypothesis testing, it's not a very good fit for the for kind of research of, you do. Yeah, yeah and I'm, if that's the case, sure.
0: Well, wouldn't you say it's for a lot of I mean, how, how many disciplines can you do like really good Experiments or control trials, and right because if you're a cosmologist, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. you can't randomly assign you know supernovas mm-hmm. to explode right when you want them to, right? <laughs> like no, it's no, or no. if you're a biologist, no, or a right, like it's 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 mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. them, I think, and maybe that's why we in psychology sort of struggle with it so much more, right? A lot of these issues, I feel, I feel like psychology has a weird history with a, a lot of this stuff. Maybe I'm wrong. Like hypothesis that. testing, hypothesis testing, and just statistics mm-hmm. in general. Right. Like, I'm not sure how many other disciplines struggle with it as much as we do.
1: Yeah. I mean, it seems to be a point, especially... Yeah. I mean, biostatistics writes a lot about this, but I feel there biostatisticians, you know, have their view and they dominate sort of in their Mm, viewpoint. mm -hmm. It's not like doctors write back and say, no, no, but we really need this. I think the special thing about psychology actually Mm -hmm. is that we do our own data analysis, which is part of the problem (laughs) (laughs) because we don't do it very well. But on the other hand, we also... Yeah, but on the other end, we also push back a little bit sometimes and say, no, but this is what we need, you know? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes for a statistician, a statistician is just like, well, statistics is about quantifying uncertainty. So you get a data set, and I've quantified the uncertainty, and I've described it, and and Uh I'm done. And they're like, yeah, but now, is there, like, should I now abandon this research line? Yes or no? (laughs) Should I do a replication study? Yes or no? They're like, I don't know. I mean, you know, they don't have to make those decisions, but we... Yeah. Do the data analysis and we have to make those and decisions. Do, so right. Yeah. So maybe, you know, we get a bit more pragmatic sometimes. Could be. Yeah. Could be. So yeah. maybe that's the reason we're so busy. But you're, you're definitely right that we should carefully think like in which fields is this really the thing we want to do. Right. And maybe sometimes it's not so much what we want to do. And of course, then we shouldn't, you know, it's as right. simple as that. Yeah.
0: yeah. One of the things about, yeah, you know, like, you know, taking statistics class and talking to statisticians is that... It, It's like somebody once said, "Is like, they're not coming to help us. You know, they they talk in their (laughs) equations and they're just trying to prove theorems and they're like, oh yeah, you have this data that just like is handed to you when you have this and you're like, yeah, but how are we going to get, you know, like all these complications about the data and then we tell them and they're like, well, you know,
2: Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm, you're mm -hmm. on your own there, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. I often think that um, statisticians would probably improve a little bit in how they think about these practices. If they would put them in practice themselves. Right, you if know? they had to like worry they, about the
0: practical considerations.
1: Yes, and and not just being involved as a statistician right. in an empirical project, but there's just something special about sitting behind your desk and right. thinking, okay, so now what is the next study that I'm going to design? Right, right. Right, and that decision they often don't have to make. Right. Um, they just enter a project that somebody mm-hmm. decided to do. The data already so, exists, right, and you yeah, just have to, yeah. right. So they don't have to make those decisions. And I wonder if they were a bit more involved in those kind of choices and doing right. their own research lines, yeah. if they would get a bit more appreciation of, yeah, I guess, you know, this testing thing has something going for it. Uh, even though yeah. it's not easy to do it well then, right? I mean, I'm not saying right. it's all easy and fine, but it plays a role, I think, in, in science. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, And some of these social things that we discussed, I think, are rarely mentioned as well because statisticians won't bring them up. But this process of, um, you know, uh, getting people annoyed by your claim and then wanting Mm. to refute you, um, those kind of things, those have interesting properties that um, uh, we don't give hypothesis testing as much credit for as it deserves, maybe. Yeah, I think it must be uh, the most criticized thing we have in science. (laughs) <laughs> I think so. You think so? You know, is there anything that gets so many uh, uh, critics, uh, like, yeah, got criticism articles written about it? Like, I can't imagine anything else that has this number. Like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of papers criticizing this thing. Is there that's anything the else so criticized?
0: No, I, well, it's an empirical claim you're making, Daniel, so we will <laughs> we have should... to do a hypothesis test. Yeah. Exactly. We should count stuff and then test it and then say,
1: "Daniel, you were wrong about it." <laughs> are you do you feel motivated to prove me wrong? But now that I made Always. this Always. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm doing yeah, this podcast. Daniel. That's what claims do. Exactly. Exactly. That's what they do. So, here we are. Well, go go and do your hypothesis test. Prove me wrong. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Nullius in Verba. Our theme song is Newton's Cradle by Grand Brothers. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or comments you'd like to share, you can reach us over email at nulliusinverbapod at gmail.com or our social media accounts at Mastodon or Twitter. In this episode, we discuss something we can't live with and can't live without, null hypothesis significance testing. In the next episode, we will discuss when and how research efforts are wasted and what we might do to avoid it. We hope you will join us.